Hello, this is Susan Marie and welcome to The Human Condition, a conversation with you based upon everyday observations that all of us experience made simple. You can catch these on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and by subscribing to my newsletter, suemarie.substack.com, and on my website, suemarie.info. Most things I speak of are linked for further study in the data section of the show. Today, I wish to speak to you about the numerous facets of love. So what exactly is love? Poets write of love, artists create paintings and visual representations, and science has tried explaining the psychological and biological aspects of love. But have they all succeeded? On many levels, yes, but do we as human beings truly understand what love is? In its simplest form, love is primary emotions that draw people together. I mean, we have love for ourselves, friends, spouses, lovers, family, children, even for food and sex, faith and justice, and pretty much anything that excites our souls. For example, love is a work of art, like the Pieta by Michelangelo. Love is caring for a pet and having that pet care for you. Love is listening and supporting one another and love is caring for your own well-being. Essentially, love is difficult to define. So let's discuss a few things related to love. One, friendship. Two, relationship and commitment. And the three phases of love defined by the Journal of Family Theory in Review, titled The Natural Principles of Love. And the natural principles of love applies to all relations, including friendship and family, which is relationship, which is commitment, in turn to romantic relationship, and even further to self and love that is universal. First, Friendship is all about nurturing fondness and admiration towards one another. It's emotional connection. And this is a fundamental aspect. And it starts when one person expresses a need for connection that can range from interest, shared humor, affection, assistance, and support. And in order for friendship to evolve, increasing awareness and mindfulness is necessary. Secondly, relationship which is about building something together that has shared purpose and meaning. I mean, this is what being human is about. And we do this culturally in values, rituals, and also personally by creating safety and in shared life philosophies. The goal is to create meaning beyond ourselves. And the term relationship can take on as many forms as friendship. Third is commitment, again, relating to friendship and relationship. And building commitment and loyalty is paramount. This includes cherishing the other person and nurturing them instead of consistently bashing and nitpicking on their qualities and behaviors. Loyalty and commitment is built by letting the other person know they are irreplaceable and unique. Lastly, we have the three phases of love. The first phase is falling in love which is all about hormones. These are mostly physical things like blushing, excitement, sexual fantasy, and lust. But the person we select has to smell, feel, and look good, and they must feel right to our physical bodies. Falling in love is when we can't stop thinking about someone, when we connect and have things in common and feel intense attraction. 
This is a feeling when we can truly be ourselves. And it is also a stage where we have to look out for red flags because hormones like oxytocin blinds us by shutting off fear in our brains. And that's when we tend to make bad judgments. This is probably where the phrase love is blind comes from. Second phase of love is after passing through the initial lusty hormone-ridden stage, the decision to work on spending one's life with another or more than one. That's up to you. But this is when that decision is made. And it's where security and insecurity is tested. Sometimes in this stage, things that drew you to a person begin to annoy you. And this is where most conflict starts and where things like disappointment, sadness, and frustration come in. And getting past all of this is where trust is built. Phase three of love is all about commitment and loyalty. Either two people build trust or they build betrayal in this stage. This is about cherishing each other, nurturing gratitude and creating deeper love. And in relation to romantic love, not friendship or family, this is the stage where most affairs occur. What mostly happens here is one person feels a need to connect and the other turns away from that need for whatever reason. I mean, building any type of love or keeping romance alive is about making love to that person. And I just don't mean sexually, although that is extremely integral. Rather thoughtfully, emotionally, awake and aware. In this last stage of love, one person may begin avoiding self-disclosing their needs and avoid conflict. And what we do instead of facing what can be fixed is substitute what is missing and begin to vilify the other And we lose trust and eventually leave or want to leave. These are times we give ourselves permission to cross boundaries and to get past this last stage is when people create lifelong bonds. In 2017, the Journal of Family Theory and Review published four decades of social science research with happy and unhappy people in all sorts of relationships in an attempt to define what causes happiness in regards to love. Researchers found without doubt that people in happy, stable, committed relationships versus people who are in unhappy or unstable relationships are healthier physically and psychologically. I mean, this is basic cause and effect, but it still does not define love. However, what was utterly interesting about the study is researching physiological arousal during conflict, which we all experience. It doesn't matter if that relation is a friend, a child, a spouse, lover, parent. This study showed the faster a person's heart beat, the faster a person's blood velocity or speed is, resulting in agitation, like having a quickened rate of breathing and moving around instead of remaining calm. And over time, with repeated conflict, happiness deteriorated. And that is why physiologically, it feels so terrible to argue with someone you care about. And when your body is disrupted, your psychology is disrupted and vice versa. So when we argue, we become physiologically flooded. That results in trouble remembering what we ever liked about the other person. And it makes it tough to be affectionate, to even be polite and courteous. In addition, during conflict and due to these hormonal responses, We get tunnel vision and distortion of perception. And we look at our loved one as an enemy and everything they say seems like an attack. What this study showed was that during conflict, the acute stress responses began. And when people were separated and forced to focus on something other than the conflict for, say, 20 minutes apart, then come back to one another, 
Both were reasonable, rational, and had a sense of humor. The saying, take a breather, most likely is from our natural physiological stress response. The ultimate result of conflict is two people managing, not repairing, because conflict is inevitable, necessary, natural, and can be positive. But managing conflict constructively and together and being regrettable for one's own behavior in order to maintain trust and intimacy, this is the goal. So what have we learned? That love means different things to different people, that there are numerous kinds of love, that love crosses cultures, races, faith, genders, and nations, and that love is healing and powerful. Love, in all forms, causes us to treasure something above ourselves, and that the existence of something other than our own becomes important. And the placement of that existence in our life inspires us to be better people, so we reach our goals, dreams, and desires. In turn, love drives us to believe in others, most importantly ourselves, because something has been placed by us to show us that love is indeed real. Love is devotion, passion, cherishing, sentiment, affection, regard, appreciation, and holding one dear. We all search for meaning, and that search in turn makes life more worth living. An integral aspect of any relationship is that we encourage those by us to be honest and in turn to be honest ourselves, which is authenticity. This creates safe space for each other. Buddha's word for love is karuna, meaning compassionate action. And I like that simple definition immensely. I can write one million poems describing the sweet breath of breeze like peaches in summertime, how they cool our brow and palate on a day that is sweltering simultaneous. I can write of how the speech of ancestors can never suffice to explain the thoughts that explode inside our brains like atoms splitting supernovas in space, constellations ablaze, neurons sounding and resounding across synapses like trapeze artists on tripwires. I can write of the speech of animals foreign to the human sense of sound and how only they comprehend what they say to one another. I can even write of God and the heavens, the beauty of the skies at dawn and sunset, colors yet undiscovered, painted for us all daily. I can write of it all, a thousand words describing everything, yet not one word or poem can ever compare to the softness of the gaze of another, like the canvas of the morning tide, or the silent roar, not unlike that of a mighty lion, are precisely how our spirits connect to another. I can write of it all, mere words. I can write one million poems, yet not one can ever truly describe love. Please join me next week for more interesting conversation inspired by you. And please check out last week's episode on what is an existential crisis.